I'll invite those who are second grade and younger. If you haven't made your way down to Children's Church, you can do so at this time. Second grade and younger can head on down. Let's ask for God's help. Let's pray. Father, we pause to ask for your divine enabling and assistance this morning. You have you've dealt with me throughout this week. I am uh, prepared to preach, and yet this, this moment falls uh, entirely flat without the uh, enlightening and uh, empowering presence of your Holy Spirit. We believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word as we move from these pages to the person of Jesus. And so we pray, O Spirit, that you would indeed provide the gift of illumination. Grant us to see wonderful things in your Word. Help us to be uh, convicted as well as wonderfully encouraged and stirred as we look at the example of Daniel. And then may we find ourselves at the end of the day at the feet of Jesus, who is the true and better Daniel, in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning we reached the halfway point in our exploration of the Old Testament prophet Daniel. The study that we are immersed in this fall is entitled Exile in Babylon. And over these last two months together we have sought to understand as well as appreciate the truth that God's plan for his people until the coming of King Jesus, includes exile. It includes what Christians are experiencing in 21st century America today. This includes exile. This is not simply defeat. This is God's design. And I'll say that again, because I think it's the theme of the entire book of Daniel. God's plan for his people until the coming of King Jesus includes exile. This is not mere defeat. This is God's design. And we ought to be careful, probably, not to overemphasize the theme of exile here in 21st century America. However, we are naive if we underplay it. Jesus is building his church. That's true of, of every culture and every age. He is building his church among us. And yet it is true that Christianity, cultural Christianity that is, is crumbling all around us. And so we ought to learn today, to resolve today, to glorify God during our American exile. Like Daniel, we learned in chapter 1 that our residence is in God's hands. Like Daniel, we've learned that our reputation is in God's hands. And like Daniel, we've learned that our resources are in God's hands. And it may be true, it is true, that we are increasingly excluded by those around us who reject our values it would be a colossal mistake to uh, throw in the towel on the one hand by being absorbed into the world. And yet it would also be the opposite error, the equal error, to take our ball and simply go home, retreating from the world around us. Our God is in charge of our exile. Our culture ought to benefit from our exile. And our Christ will bring an end to our exile all themes that we've looked at so far over these months. And we come now to what is likely the most well-known 
and well-loved chapter in the book of Daniel. This morning we get to encounter Daniel in the lion's den. You knew it was coming, right? If you grew up in Sunday school, or maybe your parents led you in regular family worship or daily devotions, uh, surely at some point you encountered Daniel chapter 6. And this chapter, this story probably holds vivid memories for you as it does for me if you happen to have grown up in church. And I can't wait to get started. So, I invite you to turn in your Bible right now to Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 6 and verse 1. If you're using one of the red Bibles in the seats, the text is on page 743. 743 in the red Bibles. We believe in preaching Jesus Christ from every page of Scripture, don't we? It's one of our rock-solid commitments in this church. Every story whispers Jesus' name, we like to say in our house anyway. And my aim, and the aim of anyone who stands in this pulpit, is to preach the gospel by expounding the Bible to the people God has given me to love. So if we walk away from our time today, and we don't see from these pages emerge the person and work of Jesus, we have radically missed the point. Jesus scolded Old Testament students of his day in John five thirty-nine to 40, where he said, you search the scriptures. Because you suppose that in them you have eternal life, yet it is they that bear witness about me, and you refuse to come to me to have that life. So, to expound the Bible without preaching the gospel is to betray Jesus with a kiss. Even when we are preaching great historical narratives like Daniel in the Den of Lions. So we will, God helping us, find our way to the gospel this morning. And yet, in our desire to preach from the Bible, let's not miss the opportunity to see Daniel's sterling example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, speaking of God's people Israel, the Apostle Paul says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And that insight applies right here in Daniel chapter 6 as well. The den of lions happened to Daniel, and it was written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So, here's the big idea this morning. Though it may sound like a bit of a cliche, Christ followers today ought most definitely dare to be a Daniel. You ever heard that phrase before? Dare to be a Daniel? Let's not mock it. Though it ought to sound a little bit like a cliche, we've used it probably and overused it in some senses, Christ followers today ought definitely dare to be a Daniel. Trusting you have your Bibles open, let's begin in Daniel chapter 6, and I'll read the first nine verses. Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground or complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault could be found in him. These men said, 
we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then the presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Here's the first of three points today. During the time of your American exile, may your holiness be the only thing that ever lands you in hot water. During the time of your American exile, may your holiness be the only thing that ever lands you in hot water. Daniel first came to Babylon during the initial deportation of Jewish exiles that occurred in 605 B.C. Um, Daniel chapter 1 refers to Daniel and to his three friends as youths. You remember that? And as youths, they were probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 to 17 years of age. That was 605 B.C. This book also tells us that Daniel remained in this geography, although the governance changed hands through multiple Babylonian kings, and finally the shifting of an entire world empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, comes into power. And this chapter features a king by the name of Darius. Best estimations place this account somewhere in the neighborhood of 539 B.C. So let's just say for the sake of argument that Daniel was like 15 when he went into exile. That means that at the start of chapter 6, this man is roughly 80 years old. Daniel's not a young buck anymore. He has served in the upper echelon of the leadership of two different secular powers for decades at this point. And to say that he had won the confidence and the affection of King Darius is, is to understate the case. Uh, the empire was a, was a vast one, and verse 1 tells us that the only way that Darius could cope with governing the entire empire was to delegate authority. He delegated essentially geographic vassals, vice regents, 120 of them. They were called satraps. And then over this 120, there were three presidents, and Daniel of one, is one of these presidents. He's one of these guys. Verse 2 tells us that. So what's the king's opinion of Daniel? We learn in no uncertain terms. Verse 3, Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's where Daniel was, was headed. You think Darius was impressed with this guy? Yeah. But it wasn't Daniel's superior that struggled so mightily with his presence in the kingdom then. He was thrilled with Daniel. It was Daniel's peers that were the problem. They felt... They felt threatened. Now here's what's fascinating. Clearly, the other presidents and satraps on one level had an extraordinary regard for Daniel. This trap that they set for him is actually sort of a backhanded compliment. Three times in two verses, we read that as they surveyed this man's life, they found no ground for complaint, no ground for complaint, no ground for complaint. In verse 4 
uses really striking language uh, to the effect that they couldn't find any fault because he was faithful, no error or fault was found on him. I wonder if anybody caught, uh, 14 million of us did, um, some of the GOP debate on CNBC last week. Did you see any of that? Did you see the opening question, the opening moments that came from um, that debate? Straight out of the gate, the first question was, what's your biggest weakness? In 30 seconds or less, tell us your biggest weakness and what are you going to do to address it? And they were warned to say, don't say that you try too hard. Uh, Don't say that you're a perfectionist. That's not a weakness. And perhaps you remember the answers as they rolled in. But from left to right, to a person, from Kasich to Huckabee, Bush to Rubio, to Trump to Carson to Fiorina to Cruz to Christie, and then to Paul, not one of them answered the moderator's question head on. I'm not indicting one particular party here. The answers would have been the exact same thing different night if it had been Fox News with the Democrats. But mark it well here in these opening verses of chapter 6 that these men couldn't find any fault with Daniel. They would have been only too happy to do so were it possible. They knew that Daniel was a faithful follower of the Lord. He was a godly man. He had been nothing but an asset to two consecutive secular world empires. And so in verse 5, they do the only thing they know to do. They're going to use his holiness as his Achilles heel. That's all they've got on Daniel is his godliness. Verse 5, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And then as verses 6 to 9 unfold, you see just how, ironically, how sky high their esteem of Daniel actually is. A brilliant Old Testament scholar, Dr. Charles Feinberg, who's now with the Lord, comments here, They planned their trap meticulously and counted on Daniel to remain true to his God at any cost. That's that's exactly right. It's actually an extraordinary compliment. They could not count on Daniel to sin, but they knew for sure they could count on him to be holy. What a compliment, right? But what about us? What about you in particular? What if you were arrested by the Orono police on suspicion of being a follower of Jesus Christ? What if a private investigator tailed you for 30 days in order to determine whether or not you were committed to the mission of being and making disciples of Jesus? What if you or I stood trial? Would the prosecution be able to mount convincing evidence and convict us guilty of Christianity in the first degree? You say, well, what kind of evidence? Here's a few lines of evidence. Is Jesus Christ objectively, breathtakingly beautiful to you? Does your Bible have the oil of your fingers all over its pages? Do you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night? Do you hate your indwelling sin with a passion? Would you do anything for your local church? When was the last time you sought to share the message of the gospel 
with a lost person. Evidence like that. Is Daniel a good model for us today? Yeah. It, it may sound like a cliche, but Christ followers today ought most definitely to dare to be a Daniel. During the time of your American exile, may your holiness be the only thing that ever lands you in hot water. Second lesson from the example of Daniel for our lives today. During the time of your American exile, may your ordinary personal devotions be the source of extraordinary public faithfulness. May your ordinary personal devotions be the source of extraordinary public faithfulness. This is a key to the power of Daniel's life, and I don't, I don't want any of us to miss this. Let's pick up the account in Daniel 6, starting in verse 10. We're going to read clear to verse 24. Daniel 6, starting in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man with, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, and makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, who, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, and that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signet of the, his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went to haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So the Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought in and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives and before they reached the bottom of the den the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Verse 24 is not the verse that they read to you in Sunday school, is it? Wow. 
Hebrews 11, 32 and 33, urges us to consider the prophet who through faith stopped the mouths of lions. That's what Daniel did, through faith. He stopped the mouths of lions. Extraordinary public faithfulness. Now, we just read 15 verses. There's so much that we could dwell on here. I, this is a, one of those mornings where I hope you're a part of a community group. And I hope you work those study questions at some point with a, a group of people. It's the only way to get the full meal in this church, I think. I, for an analogy, I grew up in a large family. And my mom, every Thanksgiving, would get about a 30-pound turkey for us in our family at Thanksgiving. And although Thanksgiving dinner was awfully nice, my favorite part of the holiday was the 30 trips to the fridge I took over the next week to continue to enjoy that meal. Sunday morning in this church is like the big family meal, but community groups and personal discipling relationships throughout the week are where we just keep snacking, right? There's a lot in this chapter that we could uncover. The community group questions are an effort to do that. I'd like for us to spend some time in verse 10 and see this theme, though, that runs through the rest of the chapter. The ploy of the presidents and the satraps in chapter 6 is effective for two reasons. First and foremost, they knew that they could catch Daniel being a man of God. We already established that. 30 days' time was more than sufficient for them to find him guilty of following Yahweh. The second reason they know that their trap is going to work is because the signature of a king, of a monarch in this culture on any law, made that injunction infallible. Verse 8, verse 12, verse 14, verse 17, they all remind us of this. Uh, Esther, chapter 1, verse 19. I think this is the first time in 10 years I've quoted Esther. Esther 119 says, The laws of the Persians and the Medes may not be repealed. And we, we have nothing like this in our culture, right? We have a constitution We have a constitution, we have a written document, we have laws, but our constitution can be, what? Amended. And, not only that, our amendments themselves can be repealed. How do we repeal a constitutional amendment? You know how we do that? Another amendment. We have nothing like this, uh, the ancient law of the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire. Ironically, it's the infallibility of Darius's signature on this document that gives him such fits of distress all night long. The night in the palace was not a happy one. He is in anguish all night long. He can't sleep. He knows he can't change this. And he's the king. Some king. So how's Daniel feel about all this? You think Daniel's unaware of the fact that this law can't be revoked? Not likely. He's one of the three presidents. He's a vice regent of the kingdom. What's he going to do? Verse 10 tells us exactly what he's going to do. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows open in the upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, I love this phrase, as he had done previously. Even if God 
had sovereignly appointed Daniel to be torn limb from limb, which would be within God's prerogative, right? Even if God had sovereignly appointed that, do you know how we know that Daniel would have gone through with it anyway? Because in verse 10, Daniel dies right here. In Daniel 6.10, this man isn't just having daily devotions, though he is. He's actually signing his own death warrant. You can't kill a man who's already dead to the world and the flesh and the devil. The reason we know that Daniel was willing to die in verse 16 was that he was willing to have daily devotions in verse 10. Are you feeling convicted yet? Again, the comment of Dr. Charles Feinberg is suggestive here, and I think much on the mark. Feinberg says, Daniel's open window wasn't intended as a defiant display. It was intended to direct his attention to the holy city, to Jerusalem. There's a community group study question on this, but see 1 Kings chapter 8 or, or Psalm 55 verse 17 for more background. Daniel's not being intentionally brash. Daniel's just doing business as usual. At the tail end of verse 10, it says, He prayed and gave thanks to his God before his God as he had done previously. So nothing out of the ordinary here for Daniel. There's a lot on the line, sure, but this isn't up for debate. His peers want him to pray to a government official and suspend the worship of the one true God for a period of one month. Did they actually think he would? Of course they didn't. That's why they set up the trap in the first place. They knew that he would be faithful to Yahweh. The whole plan rides on Daniel being faithful to the Lord. As the apostles Peter and John would one day say several centuries later, Acts 4, verses 19 to 20, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, uh, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. Or Peter puts it simply in Acts 5.29. It's one of our fighter verses if you're familiar with it. Acts 5.29, the we must obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29. So what does your devotional life cost you? Like, seriously. I'm asking myself and I'm asking you. What does your normal work-a-day walk with Jesus Christ cost you? If that's too convicting a question for personal application, consider a more encouraging one. If Daniel's walk with the Lord empowered him to step willingly into a den of hungry lions during his exile in 5th century B.C., what might your personal devotional development in life equip you to do in Jesus' name during your American exile in 21st century A.D.? It may be an old saying, but it's a good one. A Bible that's falling apart probably belongs to someone who isn't. Do you walk with Jesus every day? No days off? I wish I could say that I did. My journal will tell you how often I fall on my face from that goal. But I wish it were every day. 
And these verses convict me as they convict you. If you take a look at the blog posts on the MEFC website for this past season, you'll see our own Matt Hendrickson walking us through the work of Jeremiah Burroughs, Burroughs' classic Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. He finished his last blog a couple of days ago, and that whole book, is uh, excerpts of it are are available at mountainfree.org. He's getting ready to start uh, John Owen's work on Sin and Temptation. I think today is the first day of the new series. Well, Burroughs, who wrote that, that book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, wrote a number of books. Another one that uh, he penned is called Moses' Self-Denial. And in Moses' Self-Denial, Jeremiah Burroughs wrote, To profess the truth while we may live off of it argues no truth. But to profess it while it must live off of us is strong argument for the truth. If you are a follower of Jesus, I hope you meet him in the morning every day. And if you think that you don't need to keep some sort of daily pattern like Daniel did, meditation, prayer, scripture, some appointed time during the day, if you say that you simply walk with Jesus throughout all the day and you don't worry about that legalistic mumbo-jumbo of once a day, but you just walk with Jesus all day long, you know what? I doubt it. I doubt it. If you want to be ready for the den of lions, then set your face like flint to the closet of prayer and meditation. This past week was a wonderful week by God's mercy of public faithfulness as I think about the past seven days of my life. And I was wondering why the last 16 weeks have been such a struggle. My, my journal will bear out why. This was the first week in seven that I put together seven consecutive days of meeting the Lord in Bible and prayer. What, what happens when you have that sort of fire stoking in your soul? You move out into the world in public faithfulness and you serve what's in your cupboard. If you go with your cupboard empty, you will have very little to offer the world in terms of public faithfulness. There's one more point, and I want to focus on that. Let me summarize this one. During the time of your American exile, may your ordinary personal devotions be the source of extraordinary public faithfulness. Now, let's take this last point. We're short on time, so let me outline it and read the text, and we'll, we'll conclude. Here's, here's the point. During the time of your American exile, may your witness to the truth be the means of winning many to the Lord. May your witness to the truth be a means of winning many to the Lord. Verses 25 to 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions, so this Daniel 
prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. During the time of your American exile, may your witness to the truth be a means of winning many to the Lord. Let's take a look at Daniel and then we'll move to the Lord. Daniel did all of this, accomplished all of this heroic faithfulness without so much as a whiff of the knowledge of the cross of Jesus Christ. He didn't know the cross, but he did know the character of God. What ought we to be able to accomplish on 2,000 years on this side of the cross in the empty tomb? How many more resources do we have than Daniel ever had at his disposal? Unless we make Daniel the hero of the story, notice King Darius didn't make Daniel the hero of the story, did he? Verse 26, All people in my royal dominion are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, not Daniel. Darius left with an aroma, or Daniel left Darius with an aroma of the one true God among his superior King Darius, not the aroma of the greatness of Daniel. And Jesus truly is the true and better Daniel. Jesus didn't just honor God in his life and suffering. He was God in his life and suffering. Jesus wasn't rescued from the cross as Daniel was rescued from the den. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and he did it to save us from our sins. Daniel emerged unscathed from the den of lions. Jesus emerged triumphant from an empty tomb. Daniel was a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus is the Savior for such sinners. During the time of your American exile, may your witness to the truth be the means of winning many to the Lord. Though it may sound like a bit of a cliche, Christ followers today ought most definitely to dare to be a Daniel. During the time of your American exile, may your holiness be the only thing that ever lands you in hot water. May your ordinary personal devotions be the source of extraordinary public faithfulness. And may your witness to the truth be the means of winning many to the Lord. Now, speaking of witnesses to the truth, next week it is our distinct joy to welcome the Stout family back into our midst. And we have the joy to hear Brian Stout open up Acts chapter 1 for us in a message entitled, Jesus is Calling You, Do You Hear His Voice Today? We had the joy to have Brian in our house for two evenings this past week. He is a revival waiting to happen wherever he goes. And he brought such help and hope to our own family as we spent time with him. And I can think of no one I'd rather bring that message than Brian. So we look forward to that day. And right now, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we indeed thank you for the, it, it is true, the extraordinary example of Daniel. Daniel was a man of great character. He was a man of extraordinary integrity and power. And that public faithfulness came 
in the daily warp and woof of his walk with you. And Lord, I pray that we would be people, that we would become who we are publicly when we are alone with you privately. I pray that you would make great resolve in each of our hearts to go deep with you when we are alone before you so that we can go broad with the message of Jesus when we are rubbing shoulders with other people, that we may be a great encouragement to other believers, that we may be possibly the means of conversion of unbelievers. Lord, we thank you so much for this extraordinary example. And yet, we, we don't pray to Daniel. We pray to Jesus, Daniel's Messiah, the soon and coming King. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you that you weren't simply thrown into a, um, a pack of lions. You were consumed by the wrath of your Father on the cross. You gave yourself to us so that you may also offer your life to us this day. And we thank you for it. May we uh, have double the portion of Daniel's spirit in this day because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen.